0: I told myself I wasn't gonna watch because I've cried every time I see that clip and it was captivating I ended up looking at it. So give me just a second. I wanna be that guy. Not Derek Redman, the runner. Jim Redmond, the dad. I wanna be there when my kids train, when they compete, when they try out, when they face the, the, the goals of their life and embrace them. I want to be there when they're victorious. I want to be there when they cross the finish line. I want to be there when they achieve everything they dream of. And I want to be there in the crisis. I want to be the dad that's with... Oh, gosh, I just made the mistake of looking at my wife. (laughs) All right, not all bumpers work. (laughs) But I want to be there in those moments. I want to be there for my kids. Ephesians is an interesting book. We spend the first three chapters talking about who we are in Jesus, and how being a follower of Christ and being a person who loves Jesus lives with Jesus is with Jesus gives us this whole new identity it it changes everything about our life and who we are and and what we want to do and and what we do actually do and what we do when we things do the things we don 't want to do it, it's it 's the whole capturing picture and image of who we are is redefined by the love of Christ. And then in chapter four, Paul starts into this whole little um, section on all the things that need to change now that I'm a follower of Christ this is the way I live this is the way I think um, this is the way I present myself and and then he just shifts out of that the the chapters and the verses we've put those in there originally this is just a continuously written letter and so he's just gently moving from one thing to the next and and out of all the new things in our life and what is our chapter 5 and that transformation then he talks about how we live together as a church how we Live together as husbands and wives and, and couples, and this morning, how we live together as families, how we live together, function together, and our relationship to one another. And like most of what Paul is writing, at the surface level, it's going to seem pretty simple. It's a, it's actually just four verses. Um, so there's not 20 points. I don't have to tell you to look up the notes. Um, you should be able to keep up and I should be able to be clear this morning as opposed to last week where there was just a lot of stuff we had to cover in a short period of time. There's just three different sections in fact, he just, he just writes there almost as if he's writing kind of a footnote, okay? This is how you're gonna to live together as couples and you're gonna eventually have children and this is how that interaction takes place. Children, obey your parents and the Lord because this is right. I love that statement. If there was ever a dad statement in the Bible because it's right, I mean, what do you need? What do you need an explanation for? This is the way it is and this is the way it's going to happen. Um, but we're gonna look a little further than that. Verse two: Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. This is out of Exodus chapter twenty. It's the fifth of the ten commandments, and it gives us that promise. And he quotes the promise so that it may go well with you, and that you may have a long life in the land. And that whole that whole aspect of being a part of what's taking place and happening, um, and the respect for parents is in there. And then verse four: Fathers, it actually can be translated in um, the Greek language either way, fathers or parents. And you'll find both translations in different Bibles. So if you're looking at one that says parents, that's because they chose that word. If you're looking at one that says fathers, it's because they chose that word. If you're looking at one that says anything else like that, like like village or something like that, you're looking at something that's wrong and it's just simply wrong. Um, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up, which literally means to nurture, nurture them in the training and instruction of the Lord so our relationship with our kids makes a difference. Our relationship with our grandkids makes a difference. Um, and our temptation, and one of the things I want to draw our attention to this morning is that the temptation is to assume that he's talking about little kids. But the Hebrew mind didn't work that way. They, didn't, they thought in terms of generations, but they didn't think in terms of parental graduation. We think that way because our society is structured that way. All of our students just finished up a semester. They're headed into a new semester. Some of them finished up um, and graduated from high school. And now they're in college or they're moving into vocational careers. And it's a, a new phase of life. Paul would not have thought out of his background and out of the family circumstances of that period of history, he wouldn't have thought that, well, the kids are gone, the kids are grown, I'm finished. I thought that way. I, When my kids graduated from high school and sent them off to college, I realized I still had a financial responsibility, but I thought... All the, all the training and the direction and the stability and the, and the respect and the development of who they are, I kind of thought all of that progress was completed. It was kind of like parental retirement. I was wrong. Even after all the bills were paid for college, I, I was still wrong. I have adult children who are very, very successful in their careers, very successful in their relationships and doing excellent, um, and yet we're still parents. It, it, just, it just never stops. So young couples, we got a lot of newlyweds in our church and just think about it for a while. It is, it's not like going to the shelter. Cats have a lifespan of 15 to 17 years. There's an end in sight. Your children hopefully never precede you. And I say that with all sincerity, you don't ever want your kids to go ahead of you. I deal with that on a pretty regular basis as a pastor and families who go through that. And that's a horrific thing. You don't, all kidding I don't ever want to experience that. So in one sense, it's kind of a blessing to have a Hebrew perspective and say, no, I'm, I'm in this for the rest of my life. It actually kind of makes sense. We, we made that commitment in our marriages and we just looked at how Jesus made that commitment all out and how we're going to be a part of reflecting that love. So it just kind of makes sense. Our children will always be a part of our lives. It shifts and it changes and it's different. But our relational impact on them um, is beyond any particular time span. So wherever you're at, that's the good news, wherever you're at this morning, you can apply it that direction. If you've got preschoolers, you've got toddlers, you can apply this to that. I love the first verse. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. I wanted to paint it on the wall of the nursery when our first child was born. Um, but Carrie won out on that conversation, so we didn't do it. I was tempted to have them memorize it as a kid. Say, hey, look, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, obey your parents because they're in the Lord, you're in the Lord, you have that relationship, and it's simply just right. Because I just love that phrase. It's just right. But parents, that inverse then creates a responsibility for us. We need to be there to give our kids direction. Their response is one of obedience, but if they are to obey, then there is an assumption that we are biblically functioning parents and we're giving them direction, that there is something worth obeying, and there is something that should be obeyed, which puts the burden on us to love them and be prepared for their life circumstances to be able to help them. And I'm, and I'm not saying all parents are smarter than their kids, I'm living proof, that's not the truth. Both of my children are exceedingly smarter than I am. But I have made a point as a Christian father to try to organize those things which the Bible says is actually a higher priority than intelligence, and that is wisdom, understanding what God wants and what what God wants us to experience and know and pass on to the next generation. It's, It's clear. Paul's intent is in a Christian relationship. And so, again, this is a little bit like last week with husbands and wives. You really can't fully integrate this wisdom, this advice of Paul's into our lives if you're not a follower of Jesus. Because their obedience is in the Lord, which indicates and implies your wisdom, your direction is in the Lord, and they are responding in the Lord. These are Christian families. You have to know Jesus to be able to do this. And I will just tell you from a simple practical way, kind of that because it's right statement again. Parenting is so much better when you are partnering not just with your spouse, but when you're partnering with God himself. I mean, there are things in my kids' life I started praying for even before they were born. I started praying because we had Christian leadership that were a part of influencing our life that encouraged me to do this. I started praying for their spouses before they were born. I started praying for their education. I started praying for the day that they would become a Christian. One of the things I love about our parent-child dedication in our congregation is there's a letter in there from this congregation that says, on this day, as a church, we prayed for you to meet and know and respond and be in relationship with Jesus. There is no time too early to start praying for that. And in the same sense, there's no time to stop praying for it. Virtually every night when Carrie and I pray together, I say something to the effect, Lord, draw my kids close to you. Because whatever we face in life, we will face it stronger, more stable, and more capable if we face it with God's help. And he offers it. It's just that sometimes so many of us build up these constructs of ideas about who God is and what he wants, that we become resistant or hesitant to enter into that relationship. Because, you know, we we carry those things sort of naturally. When somebody calls and, and they want to talk to you about something, you know, your first instinct is kind of to, if you've even answered the phone, is to like, what do they want? You know, what are they asking of me? What's, you know, we, we, we tend to hold things at arm's length. And we can't do that with God. We need him. We will be better parents and more capable parents. And we will have better direction for our kids. And they will have a better opportunity to respond in, in obedience if we know Jesus and if we're building off of the foundation of the things he teaches us. In fact, to not do that, in a biblical spiritual relationship with Christ is actually to deny us the primary tools we need. In the book of Proverbs, it says that if a child moves into a position where they don't respect and don't listen and don't obey their children any longer, if, if they, I mean, their parents any longer, if they move into that relationship, the Proverbs paint a picture. It's like being in the darkest place and losing your light, and I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know why I do some of the things I do. But I watch some of those video videos sometimes. I love watching rock climbers. I love, um, I love looking at videos on urban urban climbers. Stuff I did a long time ago can't do anymore. Uh, we were in the college class this morning talking, and and I told him I work out every day. I run 15 miles every day. I know it doesn't look like it. I do it in Call of Duty. It's so much easier. To let Connor do that for me. And so, but I sit there and watch him the whole time, run nonstop and do calisthenics. It works out great. We can't vicariously live like that. But one of the, some of the videos I've watched, and they just horrify me, are, are cave climbers. You guys are in caves, sometimes underwater, diving. And I'm like, do you ever just sit there when you watch something like that or you see it in a movie and you think, what if your light goes out? I mean, I love how they, they always light like the match and somehow illuminate the whole cavern. It's like, well, as far as the match isn't gonna do that much. But imagine if you don't have the match and you can't see anything. That's a pretty horrific place to be. Now you know, the book of Proverbs says that if as children we refuse to obey and we refuse to be a part of that process of respect that God has designed then it's, it's like that. It's like we're in the darkest place and we don't have a light. But the assumption is, again, in the book of Proverbs, parents, we gave them the light in the first place. We gave them the direction. We gave them that sense of stability. The whole concept of respect and honor gives them a stable place in their lives. When you honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise, you do so and the promise is that it's going to go well with you and you're going to have a long life in this, in this land, in this world. It's, it's stability. It, it's knowing that there are things to do and things to accomplish and things to take place and things that you're wanting to be a part of and you have the opportunity to be a part of that, but you do it with a sense of confidence. Confidence. Because parents, we instill that confidence. I mean, the beauty of the prodigal son in Jesus' testimony in the New Testament about the love of God is that no matter how many mistakes he made, no matter how many wrong things he did, no matter how many errors he committed, no matter how many times he failed, he had a home. And more importantly than a physical location, he had a father to return to. Now I would love to say that's I would love to say that's the easiest thing in the world. But it's not. I am not saying anything. My kids don't already know. And I'm being cautious to not do that on purpose. But all relationships have the potential to hurt. Last week I talked about the potential to hurt one another in our marriages and in our families we have the ability to hurt. But parents, we're we're their source of stability. We're the place that even if they disagree with it, they should know it's solid. It's dependable. They they should know that there is always a home to go to. We, We should live with that kind of confidence over and over and over again in scripture god tells us the beauty of knowing him the beauty of being in a relationship with him is he always accepts us now scripture is very honest and it's very clear and it's very plain that in no way means that any of our ill-gotten behavior any any of those things that are deviant and opposed to the holiness of god is acceptable The Apostle Paul says it best in the book of Romans when he says, so what? If we've got all this grace and we've got all this love and we've got all this forgiveness, we just do whatever we want? And he says, no, no, absolutely not. Actually, knowing that we have it should be the strongest motivator in our life to not deviate from it. I mean, if he loves me that much, then why would I ever want to intentionally do something to hurt him? even, even though I still do it and I still have the ability to come back to him over and over and over again, that love should motivate me to be better. And our love should motivate our children to be better, but they should always know that there's stability in this life. As an infant, I've been around the infants this morning. It was over in preschool and saw some up in our young adults class. Infants honestly don't know any better. They feel comfortable in your arms and they, and they, are, they are secure and they feel secure. That's why when you take them out you know, of your arms and you lay them down someplace, they immediately start screaming. It's their natural instinct in the middle of the night for whatever discomfort may motivate them to scream and wake us up, which is why some point that direction you have to give them says, no, you're going to let them scream. You just put them in the dog kennel along with the puppy and they'll get tired or exhausted eventually and go back to sleep. No, I'm kidding. Sort of. Um, they don't know any better. I'm reading a book right now. Our our whole staff's reading a book right now, and it's interesting. One of the things it says is that 12 is the new 25, and 25 is the new 12. By the time your kid's 12 years old, they know whether or not they can trust you. If you screwed up in the first 12 years, it's going to be a real difficult road rebuilding that. That's where the grace of God comes in because he can forgive your mistakes and help you rebuild that relationship. At 12 months, they don't know the difference. They're gonna trust you just like they would trust the neighbor. They'll trust any human flesh that touches them. At 12, they already know whether or not they can trust you as parents. They've already made a decision whether or they can trust us. And that's going to impact their ability for receiving direction and obeying. Because if they already know we're an unreliable source, If they already know we're an unstable place, then we're not the place to go to. There is so much talk today in in culture and in society about safe places. And why why is human trafficking such an epidemic plague on the United States? Because at 12 years of age, you've already determined that your house, your home, your parents are no longer a safe place. Now, let's be honest. Just so we balance everything. This is a lot of balancing in in all these family relationships. Sometimes it's just because at 12 we think we know everything and we're wrong. And we need to deal with that as children. But sadly enough, the predators, the demonic predators of this society and this culture, they already know. And they're waiting. They want your vulnerable child who doesn't think home is safe. We're their stability. Nowhere in the video does Eric Redman, in, in any obvious way that I can tell, and as I've said, I've, I've seen it multiple times over the last couple of weeks since Cody started working on it and wanted to use that one for this Sunday. There's no indication at any point that he knew his dad was going to show up. In fact, when he's on the ground in the first place and he's pushing the medics away and he's pushing the trainers away and he wants to do, according to British tradition, attempt to finish the race and make it at least to the finish line before he stops, there's no indication he's looking for dad. The strongest indication is when dad takes his arm and places it around his shoulder and it's at that point that Derek doesn't seem to be able to run anymore because he knows he doesn't have to carry the full burden now. I don't know how old Derek Redmond was and when he was in the Olympics in Barcelona. I didn't bother to look that up. But at that age, a fully grown man, a fully grown adult, able to make his own decisions and able to determine his own directions, in that moment, past the pain, past the embarrassment, past the failure. It's a a failure. Injury is a failure. He will not win the race. In that moment, he knew he was safe. And he knew he would cross the line even though crippled. Because his dad was there. Parents, we've got to take seriously the role of stability in our kid's life so that their lives go well. And that is so far beyond just education and and, and business knowledge and and industry knowledge and and the things that that our culture drives us to give our kids. Give them a life that is stable. And it begins with the Ten Commandments and knowing that God is the only God, that Jesus is the only Lord. And if they've watched you serve him, As the book of Proverbs says, even when they stray and go someplace else, they know where to return to. Let's give our kids stability. Let's give them a place to come back to that serves as a foundation. It serves as a foundation on which to build everything else and then to pass it on so that the stability I create for them Is the stability they create for their children and and their children create for their children. Because God loves generationally. And God's people live and love and function generationally. So what we're building and the race we're running is so much more than just our moment. Which is why there's always development, there's always progress. So Father's, verse 4, he says, simply don't stir up your anger. Don't. Some translations will say exasperate. Don't, don't frustrate them. But bring them up in a nurturing fashion that trains them and instructs them in the Lord. He's not, he's not saying don't give them discipline. He's already said that. The implication is there. If they're going to obey, we're giving them direction and discipline so they know what to obey. And he's not, he's not saying it in the sense of, you know, just, just give up on the stability or give up on the development, you know, or somehow crash that. He's already assuming we're, we're working to be that stabilizing factor. We're working to make it easier for them to fulfill that commandment and have God's blessing on their life and future generations. So we just simply don't push them outside of that direction. Kids need discipline. Pretty well all creatures need discipline. Parents need discipline. We all need to learn to obey. This whole section started in chapter 5 in verse 21 where Paul said every one of us should be submissive to one another and obviously to the Lord. So it's a a mutual building. It's a mutual development. It It is a mutual progress and we don't need to thwart that. God is somehow amazingly absolutely holy and absolutely loving at the same time. I can read through the scriptures and I can see over and over again that there are expectations on my life now that I'm a follower of Christ. I may not agree with those expectations. I may not like those expectations, but those expectations are in my life. And the fact that God has discipline and God sets parameters and God sets boundaries is actually an indication of health, not meanness, because we know where we belong and we know where we're going. So we end up meeting the three greatest needs any one of us has. We know our identity is in Christ. I am a father in Christ. My children are children in Christ. I will endeavor alongside my children someday in the multiple generations to make sure that my grandchildren are in Christ. We have our identity in Jesus. And we live that identity in community, in families that are stable and strong, loving. And loving isn't without boundaries. There's nothing more unloving than no boundaries. Because if you don't have boundaries, you don't ever bump up against the edges and you don't ever know you're safe and you don't ever know you're loved. We build it in Christian families with Christian stability so that all of their development, all of their progress accomplishes their dreams and gives purpose, and gives us purpose. So we nurture them. We bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. The worst thing I've seen in church history, Pastor Josh and the team are coming back. The worst thing I've seen in church, I taught church history for nearly 10 years. I taught Baptist history for nearly 10 years. The worst trend I ever saw in church history was in the late 1800s, initially during the Sunday school programming. The assumption was the parents got all their teaching. By listening to the pastor. And so the reason Sunday school, Sunday morning Bible studies, were originally called school was because they were only for children. We had this assumption in those days that we raised the children up in the knowledge of the scripture, so we provide a Sunday school where they learn scripture. And the adults have somehow magically graduated and don't need that anymore. And that's so wrong. And that is so much in error. That mentality has remained in programming for years. And so you struggle to get your kids to Sunday school or to Bible study, primarily because you don't go. I don't see anything in this passage of scripture that says, hey, you've got it. You've learned everything you need to learn I don't see anything that indicates that they've learned everything they need to learn. Training, instruction, and instruction in the Lord continues for the remainder of our lives. It changes and it shifts in its topics and its interests and its specific points, but it continues. I have just as much need to be a biblical father today to grown adult out on their own successful children as I did when they were toddlers. Nothing's changed. I'm their dad. And I am there for them when they're training. I am there for them when they're victorious. And I am there for them in their crisis. We all need to be. So none of us is exempt from the necessary training. We keep training. And we are there for our kids. Father, we love our children.